played in the NFL for 10 years, Super Bowl champion, fittest man in the NFL twice. And I realized it's all for nothing. True wealth is not just money. It's all areas of life. If you're deficient in one area of life, you lose. And I want to share what the top five regrets of the dying are. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others had expected of me. I wish I hadn't have... I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. I wish I had... I wish I had let myself be happier. And one of the reasons I feel like people aren't happy is... What's up, Wealth Builders? Today, I got myself a Super Bowl champion, 10 years in the NFL. But on top of that, this dude is an entrepreneur. He's a Christian. He's got six kids. I need to learn how to raise six kids. And, you know, probably, well, it's not most importantly, but I mean, this dude is actually like one of the most jacked people to ever walk into this room. Uh, He was, I think he was named like the most jacked dude in the all of sports, really. I got Steve Weatherford. What's up, man? Hey, it's good to be on here, man. What was the title that you had? Uh, Muscle and Fitness did some type of voting with my peers, the fans, and their editor. And uh, and they did like online voting for the fittest man in the NFL. The fittest man. And yeah. dude, the NFL is like the most fit people, period. 2,200 20, 20, of like... The most insanely genetically gifted guys. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it was definitely a title. I was like, hey, man, I'm glad 10 years later that people still mention it because it meant a big deal to me. How did a punter win? <laughs> like, why, uh, why are you so jacked as a punter? Like, what was the well, point? <laughs> I think it. I think it comes down to we would start the day, Ryan, with a team meeting and then you'd break off to offense and defense. I'm not offense and I'm not defense. And then from that meeting, they go to linebackers or quarterback meeting. I'm in, I'm not in that meeting either. So I'm either going to like play ping pong or pool in the locker room with the kicker. Or I'm going to go, I'm going to go in the iron and build myself up. But even before that, I say that kind of as a joke, cause I had more free time, which is the truth. Yeah. Um, but man, I was just always like fascinated with building myself up at a, as a freshman in high school. I was 108 pounds. Yeah. So I was never like a, a big guy or what you that's would why consider. You, were you kicking back then too? Yeah. Oh yeah. I was a soccer player. Okay. Yeah. So that's why, sure. what probably what attracted you to kicking. A hundred percent. Yeah. The the only reason I ever kicked a football, I was 108 pounds as a freshman in high school and the varsity coach, Wayne Staley, God rest his soul. They needed a kicker. And so this is Terre Haute, Indiana. And the football coach doesn't ever go to the soccer field. Mm -hmm. So this big dude comes kind of waddling over to the soccer field and asks the coach. He said, hey, I heard you got a kid over here that's got a really strong leg. Uh, We need a kicker. Where is he at? And so the coach kind of points over to the far field. And he said, it's the kid on the second field. So he walks over and I'm hearing the story later on. And he looks back at the soccer coach. He's like, this guy? Because he's noticing how small I am. Yeah. And coach is like, yeah, yeah, him. Just tell him, kick you the ball. <laughs> so he said, hey, will you kick that ball? Kick it over that goal. So I backed up and I was like, man, it's the varsity coach. I'm a little bit nervous. Have you ever but kicked footballs at this point? Never kicked a You're football. You're just kicking soccer balls. So he said, mm-hmm. kick it over that H. And I'm like, to me, it was so easy because the ball's not moving. There's no goalie. This seems pretty simple. So I, I bomb it. And he looks at me, goes, you're going to do. 
And the very next day I had my very first, and I feel like this is an encouragement for everybody that's listening to this right now, because this is coming from a guy that got paid to do this for 10 years. Yeah. Um, Super Bowl champion. It really changed the direction of my life and how so many doors got open. But the very first time that I went to varsity practice, I went to kick my very first field goal. Coach introduces me and I look like a, I look like a golf tee with a golf ball on top of it because we had white helmets and I was so skinny. (laughs) So all of these varsity guys are looking at me and they're like, this is our new kicker. (laughs) And we had two guys in particular that I remember vividly. And one of them's name is Chris Farr. And he was like our star quarterback, the most popular guy on the team and in the school. And he was my holder. And then our long snapper, his name was Mike Canada. This dude was 275 pounds, <laughs> six foot four, like round belly, tobacco chewing badass. I mean, this guy was a monster and he was my long snapper. So the biggest dude in my school and the most popular guy in my school. And I, I don't think I've ever told this story, but my Mike, Mike Canada gets over the ball and they're both looking at me to see if I'm ready. And the whole team is watching me. And I'm kind of an insecure kid, snaps the ball, puts it down. And I look at that ball and I just charge it with everything that I had. Cause this is my shot, man. I want to be on varsity in some type of sport. He puts the ball down. I kick it as hard as I can. And as soon as I kick it, Ryan, I think to myself, I freaking smoked it. And the next thing that I hear is a loud smack. Mike Canada jumps up and turns around and looks at me with like red in his eyes. That football never got higher than two feet off of the ground. And I tattooed Mike Canada, (laughs) a Wilson on his right butt cheek. And this is a true story. He chased me off of the field. My very first time ever kicking a football. So I don't know who you are or where you're at when you're listening to this, but there's going to be some obstructions. There are going to be some suffering. There's going to be some delay. And when your gifting becomes something that changes your life, but that's exactly what happened to me. So I'm very glad that I bribed Mike Canada the very next day. I brought him five cans of Copenhagen chewing tobacco <laughs> as a peace offering. I said, Mike, give me another how, chance. How did you get it at 14 years and, old? And my, this Terre Haute, Indiana, man, <laughs> all you needed was green and you knew the, the right gas stations to go to. And, and that's how my football career began. That is so funny. Mike Canada. Dude, you said, I roped it. Oh, man. Because, you know, you're a baseball player, man. When you get a hold of one of those, like you, you, it feels so good. But I I didn't get the trip. I'm a soccer player, right? You want to drive it low. You don't want to lift the ball up. Yeah, you go over the goal. Exactly. So I'm trying to drive the ball low. (laughs) And I drive it low, man. I almost hit that dude dead center. And that would have been a bad deal. Oh, man. Dude, that is funny. So... I don't think I've ever shared that story before. <laughs> That's a good way to start the pod. I like that. <laughs> we, I love stories. But I also love, too, that, you know, you know, just like with that story, you're talking about life and motivation and relating it. That's one thing, like, for me as an athlete and a business guy now, mm. I've realized the power of sharing stories yeah. and how it just helps people see, you know, what they can achieve, that you've been through hard times. They like what they're going through. You know, there is redemption. Yeah. And so I I love that. I think what you're I think what I'm hearing you say, Ryan, is I've noticed that the more Sherry, the more stories, a.k.a. the more testimonies that I've shared, the more impact that I've made, the more I've shared the atmosphere of the place that I've entered. And you and I both know, man, it's it's the blood of the lamb and it's the power of our testimony that sets the captives free. That's, that's why I use my time the way that I use my time, because I feel like I could share a lot of incredible stories from like the NFL. And I'm sure we'll get into some of those, but every single time that 
that I go to share somewhere, I always wear this shirt yep. because I know what life was like when I tried to fill it with everything that like we're in Las Vegas right now. Yep. Man, I used to be led by my flesh in the most major way. Um, and we're talking about being 108 pounds. And I kind of mentioned that I was insecure. But a lot of what I've noticed, because I'm writing my book right now, what I've noticed is there's been several defining moments that have happened during my life. And as I've looked back on those defining moments, those have really shaped my reality. They've shaped what I thought was possible. Mm. They shaped how I've spoken. They've shaped my identity. And and that's like when we're talking about, man, I just so desperately wanted to be on varsity. I wanted to be a part of something. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I feel like being a part of a community that has an identity and working for something bigger than who you are. I feel like that's, that's what we're all looking for. And I, I believe that the way that my life was changed was by hearing someone else's story, yeah. someone else's testimony, because the areas based upon my limited experience and my limited knowledge, I thought God was this, but through somebody else's testimony, Ryan, I realized that God is so much more than what my limited knowledge or what my limited experience is. And so um, I feel like I had a, a conversation with God almost exactly five years ago. It was four years and it was 11 months ago. And I had a radical uh, encounter with God because there was a good like 20 years of my life where I grew up in church, but I didn't I didn't know if God was real. And because of some of the things that has well, I definitely didn't walk to walk, but. You knew I, of God. I knew of God. I grew up yeah. in church, but because of some things that happened to me, it caused me to think, well, if God is real and God is good, how could he let something like that happen to me? If, if he's good, how good is he? Um, and so I'll just pause there because, uh, that's why I feel like I've been attracted into building a relationship with you is because I've heard you in snippets yeah. on social media begin to share your testimony. Yeah. And I said to myself, there's got to be more to more to this guy than what I'm seeing. So that's yeah. why I'm sitting in this chair. A, I want to share with my testimony with you yeah. and with your listeners. But I believe that you and I are going to build a relationship as well. I love it, bro. I'm all for it. So, yeah. And, and, and it's true, right? Like you said somebody shared their testimony with you changed and my that life. changed your life five years ago. And for me, you know, I've realized that God has given me this platform, right? And you, you've had a platform, right? You've, mm. you've been in the NFL, you've been to the Super Bowls, you know, like you have a platform and we all get to choose how we want to use it. Mm. Right. And in my mind, it's become crystal clear that there's only really two choices to make. Yeah. Like it's, it's either one that glorifies God mm. and one that doesn't. And the one that doesn't, you know, it has a bunch of different justifications, mm. right? It's like, hey, I'm going to glorify myself. I'm going to go glorify this this uh, movement or this initiative or this or that. And it's like, yeah, but if it's not God, then it is something else that's not God. So yeah. who is it for? Right. Yeah. And we can make all the justifications we want of the just saying like, well, but it's for a good cause. It's for this. It's for that. 
But in the end, if you don't bring people to the truth, then what's the point? Let's pause real quick. We just launched something new that I'm really excited about, which is our text hotline. It is now easier than ever to get in touch with myself and my team. If you've ever been thinking about working with us in any way, whether it's through real estate investing, learning how to create content or scaling your business, we want to help you out. And it's super simple. All you got to do is just text 725-444-5244. If you text that number, my team is going to get in touch with you right away. And I, in fact, might be responding to some of those texts as we get the system just built out and rolling. We can answer any of your questions for getting you help, telling you about our different programs, different events we've got coming up, different resources that we have that can help you. It's going to be epic. So just text us at 725-444-5244 and somebody will respond to you and get you help right now. Here's a perfect example. I so agree with you, Ryan. Here's a perfect example. You mentioned it. You're like, dude, this is probably like the most jacked dude we've ever had on our set. Mm -hmm. Thank you for saying that. And, And that is an example of... Something that I built up to cover my own insecurity. Mm. And in a moment, God said, you're more than enough. And now I want you to use that to grab people's attention, to tell them all about me, to tell them all about my goodness, to tell them all about what I did for you five years ago, how you had never experienced peace. You've never experienced joy. But in a moment, I showed you that I'm real. I showed you that I'm good. I showed you that I operate outside of time. And if you would, Steve, for the rest of your life, would you just tell people about it? Mm. Right. And now, like, you're right. I am the most jacked dude that's ever been on here. But I'm also a guy that was addicted to porn, a guy that was addicted to pills, a guy that was sexually abused by a guy when I was 12. And I had questions and I had a good dad. I, I had questions that were never answered. Like, does this make me gay? So although I had no attraction to people of the opposite sex, because that happened technically, like, what does that make me? Mm. Right. So. My point in mentioning those things is this used to be the armor so people could never see who I am. Mm. But now it's like it's like Las Vegas neon sign. Let me grab your attention, but I'm actually not exactly what you think that I am. I'm actually broken. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. But God's grace is so sufficient. I want to tell you how it was applied into my life and how it's changed me. It's changed my marriage. It's changed my family. It's changed what I've done with my time, my talents and my treasures. And I say those things and I feel like on the way over here, I was talking to my friend Pierce and I was like, I feel like I'm supposed to share this revelation that I've gotten kind of like about my life, but it came to me through a painting that I saw like maybe like six weeks ago. And kind of, I kind of described a little bit of my insecurity and like my broken identity as a kid. And maybe you guys don't know. And Ryan said, like, he played in the NFL for 10 years. He was, you know, Super Bowl champion, uh, fittest man in the NFL twice, you know, won a, a nominated for the fit, most philanthropic guy in the, the NFL. And I say those things to say, sounds like I was like a really generous, like noble person, but I was one hundred. Ryan, hear me when I say this, I was 100% building my own kingdom. Mm-hmm. I was taking, and I'm gifted, right? Mm-hmm. Six foot three. I'm, um, athletic. Um, I didn't graduate from, from college, but I'm pretty smart. Yeah. So I, I feel like I have gifts, but I've used all those gifts to build myself, mm-hmm. to build my kingdom. And I realized it's all for nothing. Right. I've experienced so much of the world. And so this painting that what it revealed to me, it's called the allegory of long spoons. 
Mm. And, and a rabbi drew this painting and essentially it's, it's a picture of heaven and it's a picture of hell. And it's like a, a table for 12 and a table for 12. And there's like a Thanksgiving feast on both tables, but you have to use these long spoons to feed yourself. And if you look at heaven, it's gray. Everybody's emaciated. Everybody's like skinny and depressed. And you look at heaven, everybody's fat. Everybody's joyful. And because they're taking their gifts and they're feeding other people with it. Uh, and so in that uh, radical God moment that I had, I realized the reason that I'm so empty is because I've been building my own kingdom. And in that moment, I believe that God activated me and said, now, now I'm giving you eyes to see how to use what it is that you've built up in your natural and deployed into the supernatural to do things that matter. Because I believe with our life, if we pay the right price, meaning like as a wealth manager, if we invest in the right things, it'll enrich our life here and we'll be storing up treasures in heaven. And so that allegory of the long spoons is like so speaking to me because like I, I, I've experienced the wine of the world, you know, I've experienced my own kingdom. And then for these last like four years and 11 months, it hasn't been perfect, but I've been waking up burning constantly on fire because what I realized during that, that radical God moment was I didn't just realize that he was real and that he was good, but I actually, and this came to me this morning when we were talking, I actually experienced the fear of the Lord. And it sounds like, Oh, like I'm scared. But, but what the fear of the Lord is, is so much power that even though after that moment, I still don't, I still don't understand everything in the Bible, but believe, but because I believe that he's so good, he's so real and he's so powerful. I'm going to take his word for it. To me, that's like what the fear of the Lord is. Even though I don't get it like dad, dad, you said it, I'll do it. Um, so I'll just pause there. Does that make sense <laughs> no, to you? The allegory of long spoons? Oh, it makes perfect sense. Right. And I think it ties into, you know, what kind of, I guess, sparked it of, you're either building his kingdom yeah. or you're building a different kingdom. And you talk right? about that a lot. So, yeah. So it's like, yeah, your own kingdom. You could think it's all great because everybody says, build your brand, you know, focus on your business. And even to a degree, if you're only focused on your family mm. and you neglect God, you're making your family your idol and your God. Oh, yeah. And so it becomes this thing where people think they're doing the right thing. Because that's what the world or society says, but it's a trick because it's like, well, yeah, but dude, I guess what? I would hope I'm not putting my faith in my kids yeah. and my family and my business and how I look and my following and how much money's in the bank. You know, the moment you put your money or your your confidence and your faith in all of these temporary things, yeah, it becomes tough, man. Mm. It, it goes like this. I feel like life, Ryan, I feel like life is a lot like a decathlon and we look at social media and we see these guys that like crush it in one or two or three events. And we're like, I want to be just like that guy. And a matter of fact, I'm going to get coached one-on-one -on -one by that guy. And I've been one of these people and I've done exactly what it is. These mentors have told me to do, and I've gotten the fruit in in my life, in those areas that I've wanted, but because they weren't holistic men, some of the events of life, like my relationship with God, my relationship with my wife, I wasn't even like showing up at all, right? Not cheating, not like beating, but not showing up 
like not even showing up to the event. When I say not even showing up to the event, I mean like a year without a date night. Mm-hmm. I mean, six months without going to church. I mean, no spiritual leadership, no leadership at all. Right. Just like making tons of money, working seven days a week. And I was at a decathlete in college and I was school. I went to University of Illinois, school record holder, all conference in like the first season that I did it. But the reason that I was good, Ryan, because I actually got a scholarship for for football. The reason that I was good is because out of like 12 competitors, I'd always get like third or fourth place, you know, in high jump six foot six, which is like, it's, it's a, it's a great jump, but you're not going to win. There's going to be somebody that's going to be seven foot in long jump. It'd be like 23 and a half feet. Good. Probably going to get third or fourth. Somebody's going to go 24 or 25 uh, in sprinting 10, seven. It's good. Probably get fifth. Somebody's going to go 10, one, 10, two. And so I say those things to say the reason that I was successful is because it's not about any one event. Yeah. It's about your overall cumulative point total. And one thing that I feel like I've done that completely disqualified me from being the world champion version of myself as a man, holistically, some of the events I wasn't even showing up. So you can get first place in nine out of the 10 events. But if you don't show up for Polva because it makes you uncomfortable and like you had a dad that didn't show you how to do it, you disqualify yourself from from ever being close to what you could be. But if you just show up, if you just show up and you fail forward, I bet you there's going to be somebody in that competition that's going to be like, dude, if you would just hold the pole like this and then don't be scared when you jump into the pit, they will adjust you as you go. But because men are proud. They don't want to do the things that don't come natural to them. And typically the things that we haven't been taught or haven't been modeled don't come natural to us. And so we look around life and you get a chance to be around a lot of entrepreneurs that are probably operating from a fatherhood wound of identity. Yeah. So does that does that speak to you? I mean, that's the whole point and the mission of the wealthy way, you know, is to help people realize that wealth, true wealth is not just money. Yeah. It's all areas of life. And I can't make this point clear enough in that if you're deficient and in your words, not showing up in one area of life, you lose. It does not matter if you're the richest man in the world. It does not matter if you're the fittest man in the NFL. You lose if any one of the major areas is deficient or not showing up. Right. So, you know, for me, it's like the the four major areas, right, are family, finances, faith, and then your health. Right. So Mm -hmm. your fitness, if you want to just say the four F's. okay? so. You know, if like if your health is, is jacked up, well, the rest doesn't matter. You ain't going to be there for your family. You you have no energy. You're you just can't. Right. Yeah. If your faith is jacked up, we know what goes on there. Right. People think that everything's good, but they wonder why there's just this void in their life. If you got bad family problems, guess what? Going to work becomes really hard when you're constantly thinking about the drama that's going on at home or, you know, whatever's happening behind the scenes. And, you know. Even if you're doing those things, but you're you're making ends meet and you're not being a good steward of money and your talents and you're not working hard over there. Well, guess what? Your family and everything else suffers. You can't give generously in the way that somebody else could. So it's like you do have to pursue being you don't have to be the world's best at each one. Like you said, you don't have to be number one. And there's going to be seasons where like some events are going to be easier than other events. Like I would assume, Ryan, like you have three kids. I've got six. In about 20 years, like the demand of the father for me, it's not going to be as great. Yeah, I got you know three what under I mean? five. It's and hard so, right now. Yeah. So I feel like a lot of men, 
are like, man, that's really hard, but they don't realize it's just for a season. It's one of the reasons that like, I love to speak. I love to like go mm-hmm. out and create relationships like this and, and, and share testimony and, and look at what God does and how he activates people. But I only do that about 12 times per year, right? Mm-hmm. Because I know that I'm going to be able to speak for the rest of my life. Yeah. Right. But my, my kids, my, my two-year-old son, Kingston, mm. I've got 15 more summers with him. I've got a 16 year old son, Ace. I've got two more summers with him, right? Like, so like I am, I'm so urgent and I'm so intentional to mark the years that I have with kids with, with experiences and not like, boy, man, I made 4.8 this year, or, you know, we did this merge and those things are important, but I just know that like, for me with my time, my talents and my treasures, I'm never going to retire, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not I'm not buying into the model of the world, but I did want to mention this because we were talking about, um, you know, faith and family and like having a gap in your life and how it would rob you later on. And um, I would encourage people if they haven't read this book, um, it's called The Top Five Regrets of Dying People. Mm. And it's written by a an Australian nurse that spent like 20 years working hospice and having conversations with people. And it, and it got to the point where it depressed her so much. She had to retire from doing it. And then during a a season of, of retirement, she got really inspired by all of the things that she was hearing. And she wrote this book and I want to share what the top five regrets of the dying are. Um, And I'm praying and believing that it will convict people to begin to live life in a way that is honoring God and true to who God created them to be. And the first one is, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life others had expected of me. Mm. There's a verse in in scripture that says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And people's renewing of their mind could happen in a podcast, right? It happened in, it happened from a stage for me with the testimony. Yep. Romans 12, two. Number two, I wish I hadn't have worked so hard. Mm. Number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. And that was something for me that I never grew up with a dad that expressed his feelings. And one of the reasons I feel like I grew up with a little bit of a gap in my identity. My dad was always there, but I needed my dad to champion me. I love you. I'm proud of you. You're a good boy. Um, But I've decided in my family, I'm going to be the chain breaker. I'm going to be an overly communicative dad. Um, Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends, relationships. Number five, I wish I had let myself be happier. Um, And one of the reasons I feel like people aren't happy because I know that I wasn't Ryan. I looked for kind of mentioned it earlier. I looked for my identity and my worth through achievements, through experiences, through accolades, through money. And I actually had no, I had no vision. I didn't know what my purpose was. And I feel like I was a a Ronin. And I don't know if you know what a Ronin is, but a Ronin is like a masterless samurai, somebody who has great skills and great abilities, but because they don't have a master that helps guide them and teach them, 
they just go from battle to battle. And I feel like I was going from goal to goal in my life. Get on to varsity, bench press 250 pounds, earn a scholarship. You know the drill, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these different achievements. And, and I got to kind of like the end of a lot of these journeys. And one of them was the Super Bowl. And I'd like love to share that story is I, I got to a point where I'm like, I might be on mission, but I'm off purpose. And, and I would say one of the. What does that mean? Let me let me answer that in a story. And I feel like some of the answers, the allegory of long spoons is building my own kingdom. Right. Yeah, right. But also, let me illustrate a story for you. February 5th, right around this time, it's almost February as we record this. It's about to be the Super Bowl. February 5th, 2012, we're playing Tom Brady and the mighty New England Patriots. I'm playing for the Giants. It's 2012. It's Lucas Oil Stadium, Indianapolis, Indiana. And I grew up 47 miles from there in Terre Haute, Indiana. Like, so like everybody, I spent like 14 grand in tickets. You know, like I think it cost me money to play in the game. Um, And so I just had so much of the people that I love there and anybody that, that I couldn't have for to buy tickets for just we couldn't get enough tickets there's 124 million people watching at home and ryan i had the greatest game of my entire life after my first punt it was a safety uh we sacked him in the end zone uh, i had three other punts i set a super bowl record for most punts inside of the 10 yard line um, just incredible performance and and i remember going to the after party and i think it's probably the first time you know, we take pictures with the Lombardi trophy, my family and everything. And my dad's there. And, and I think it was probably the first time my parents have ever been to a rager before. You know, <laughs> I mean, people are, they've got, I'm talking about gorillas with their shirts off, just waving them yeah. around. Kenny Chesney was playing our private, his private show for us. It was wild. So all, as all of that d- dies down, I go back to my room. I remember swiping my key card, walking into my hotel room, and I could tell that the maid had come in and cleaned it. It smelled nice. It was quiet. I sat my bag down, and then I heard a noise up at the mirror, up at the window, and I'm on like the 17th floor. So I walk up, and I look down, right? And it's like an ocean of people. It looked like Mardi Gras, 2 o'clock in the morning in Indianapolis, and people were down there partying. They looked so happy taking selfies. And then I notice they don't even have on Giants jerseys. Like just, these are just like NFL fans. They're just partying. I'm 17 flights up. And before I could like exhale this, the first big deep breath that I'd taken in, I just have this wave of depression come over me because I realized like, I don't feel any different. Like I just had the greatest game of my life and the biggest game of my life on a contract year. A month later, I, f- I signed a five-year contract and I knew it was coming a five-year contract for like $13 million, just more from Indiana, man. Yeah. You know, like I, I never even dreamed of making that much money. Mm-hmm. I did dream about being a Super Bowl, but you would think that those things would change you. Yeah. Right. And I know that there's a lot of people who maybe even grew up in the church or maybe you didn't, but man, you connect with like, dude, I like, I thought my first million would like, like I could have some peace. Right. And like, nah, maybe it's, maybe it's 5 million. <laughs> and then you get to your 5 million. That wasn't it. Maybe it's a wife. Get mm. that wife. Now, you know, maybe it's a wife, 10 million and a certain, this certain neighborhood get there. You know what it is? It wasn't those things all along. It was a private jet. That's what it was. <laughs> so this might, might be a little bit of an exaggeration for you. But for me, 
it was a million bucks. It was like, make it into the NFL. It was like, get a six pack. A Super Bowl is something you dream of forever. Every little boy. Yeah. With their dad or a friend has imagined themselves catching a, a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Now, granted, I didn't catch a touchdown. I kicked the football, <laughs> but I did it in an extraordinary fashion and extraordinary pressures for extraordinary stakes. Yep. It couldn't have gone any better. If you haven't heard, WealthCon is coming back to Las Vegas April 18th to the 20th, and I believe it's going to be our biggest one yet. We're going to try and fill the Caesars Palace with 2,000 top-level real estate investors and entrepreneurs. I've got amazing speakers like Neil Patel, Tim Grover, Dan Martell, Pace Morby, and many others coming, and it's going to be great. So if you want to get tickets today, we got some special deals going on. All you got to do is text me at 725 444 Five two four four. We'll get you info on what kind of tickets we got all the way from general admission to our diamond level tickets where you're able to network with the speakers, go backstage, ask them questions, and then have a dinner with all of us in a really intimate setting. It's going to be great. So if you want to get tickets, text me at 725-444-5244. And I just remember as this wave of depression came over me, I realized that there was nothing, Ryan, that was inside of the National Football League pro sports or probably money that was going to fix this hole that I had in me because this hole was a God sized hole. And so right then I knew that after I signed this contract, I was only going to play long enough for me to like build up a financial cushion to like start a new life doing what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing because that's got to be why I feel this way. So I played three years of a five-year contract, retired out of nowhere. My wife, my coaches, my mentor, my dad, they're like, what are you doing? It's six months of work. All you do is kick a ball. I'm like, <laughs> get the easiest job. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I'm like, I just feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not supposed to be here. So we retired. I went out to San Diego, California, and this is where like my life, because I, I always grew up in church, Ryan, like, yeah, but it was a church where we kind of talked about it um, off air before we got on here. Like it was like a stand up, sit down. Like if you talk during church, like get smacked in the back of the head and I had like a wonderful dad, but old school, you know? And I used to get kicked out of Sunday school. And I say those things to give you context for like what kind of church I grew up. And when I went to the NFL, I played football. I was cashing checks on Sunday. I wasn't going to church. And honestly, right. I wasn't interested in it. And I'll say those days for like bravado. That's where my ego was. Right. So I retired from the NFL. I worked in worked for ESPN in New York for an, uh, a year and a half. Super unfulfilled with that. Then we moved to San Diego. Within two weeks of us being in San Diego, I had a friend. His name is Ash Gandahari. He goes, hey, he's like, I think you and your family should come to my church with us Sunday. And I knew what was wrong in me. It was a, it was a God thing. But like every time that I, my, my view of God was like a punisher, mm -hmm. right? Like if I make a mistake, I'm going to pay the consequences. And I believe a lot of us, we draw our, our picture of God first from our fathers, right? So if you're listening to this and maybe your father wasn't there, chances are that you have a view of, of God that he's, he's not going to be there for you. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so I just use that as an example, but for me, my dad was very firm and very fair and there were consequences. I have a great relationship with my dad, so I don't want people to think I'm dishonoring him. Um, and he's very comfortable with me talking about this, but he was very firm and he was very fair and there were consequences if you made mistakes. Mm-hmm. He was very consistent. And so for me, my view of God is if I make mistakes, there's going to be consequences. And so you know what I did? 
I didn't bring my problems to to God. I didn't bring my mistakes to God because I noticed when I brought them to my dad, I'm like, if I brought them, I still got punished, man. <laughs> you know? So I say those things to say, I get this invitation to this church, Ryan. And, and I remember showing up to the church. It's called Awaken and it's in San Diego. I remember walking into this church and I showed up five minutes late on purpose because I don't want people to recognize me. And plus, I didn't want to meet those like super cheerful people at the, you know what I mean? You know, the greeters, you know what I'm talking about. So I wanted to circumvent the happy people, just slip in, not be noticed and like, just check this thing out because I need to help in my marriage, man. I needed to help. And in, in, I was, I was taking Adderall to keep up with what it required as an entrepreneur. I was smoking weed to come down at night and I was taking chewing up Percocet pills when I was really sad and lonely. Like I was a freaking mess, dude. So like I needed to get in there cause I needed something. And yeah. I remember walking in Ryan and like feeling an energy and I look around and there's like all these young, like handsome people and they got their hands raised up and they're not worried about what people to the right or to the left are, are doing. And they're freaking crying. And I feel like there's like a, a thickness of atmosphere in there. And I'm like, this is weird. So I like walked up to the far left corner, Ryan. And I sat there and I, I just with my wife and we're just watching these people just spill themselves out. I'm like, this is bizarre, but like strangely exciting to watch because they don't, they're not doing it for people to see. And I yeah. can plainly see this people on their knees. It was crazy, but this is just like a normal Sunday service. It wasn't <laughs> like, you know, so we watched for like two more worship songs. And then the pastor comes out, his name's Dr. Matt Hubbard. And he comes out and he's speaking into the microphone for maybe 60 seconds. And then he pauses and he looks up in the left corner in the darkness of the left corner. And he goes, Hey, you, he said, God wants me to tell you right now that you've been gone for a really long time. And what's broken in you is going to get healed. And then he just started prophesying. And, and as he was saying that, I turned around, Ryan, to see who he was talking to. Mm -hmm. There wasn't nothing behind me, bro, but a wall. Mm. And so I'm sitting here. I slipped into this church to try to sneak in, not be noticed. And I was going to leave five minutes early. Mm. And all of a sudden, I'm in a church of like 400 people and the spotlight just goes, whew. And like, I felt like God pinned me down and he was speaking to me, but still in my mind, Ryan, I'm like, maybe somebody noticed me and like text him. Something's going like, I didn't, yeah, yeah. I was skeptical. So I said, you know what? Like I'm on the brink of getting a divorce and I'm making, I'm making like all this money with this supplement company, but I'm so unhappy. I'm unhealthy. Like my relationship with my son is busted. Like maybe this really is God. So I continued to bring my family back. And about two months later, my friend Nick Unsworth invited me to a men's conference and it's called Emerge. I met Nick about yeah. two months ago. Nick is one of my best buds, man. I love him. That's I honor him. That's why I share his name every time mm -hmm. I share this story. And uh, Nick said, hey, I think you should be on my team for Emerge. And I'm like, what's Emerge? He's like, oh, we like do tug of war and all these different games. He's like, bro, you, you would be an upgrade on our team. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, all right, man, I'll, I'll go. And I had shared with Nick some of the stuff that I was dealing with, you know, just breaking lust off and, you know, just like memories from when I was a kid. And, and I remember getting special permission for, for my 11 year old son and, and him and I were, having a ton of friction together, but I got special permission to bring him uh, because it was 13 and up. 
So I pull up to Emerge and it's in the middle of the desert in Southern California. And the first thing they give you, Ryan, is this two by four. It's got two holes drilled in it and a string on it. They hand it to you and they give you a Sharpie marker. And they did that for me. They did that for my son and everybody did it. And they said, I want you to go spend 15 minutes alone with God. And I want you to write down everything on this burden board that you walked into the desert with that you want God to take away. Ryan, I freaking tattooed that thing, man. (laughs) I mean, I wrote down porn, pills, worthiness, imposter syndrome, depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, lust, greed, like just everything about myself that like I hated. Right. Because here's the deal up in, I mean, I was 36 years old. I'm 41 at the time. I was 36 years old. I hadn't been proud of myself a day of my life. Wow. You know, like shame and guilt. Like those are, that's heavy stuff to carry. Right. Because I always made up in my mind, even after like a Super Bowl, like you do the unthinkable and people are, oh, you're the best, you're MVP, you're these things. And in my mind, the enemy is like, yeah, but if they knew these different things about you, you know, they would never think those. Matter of fact, they would run the other way. And so like, how heavy, right? So I wrote everything down, man. And I put it on my back. And I remember walking to the tent and it's this big circus tent and they've got a stage in the middle. And they're playing worship songs and there's 2,500 guys, smelly men with their arms raised up, just crying out to God. And then the main pastor, his name's Pastor Jurgen, walks out and he introduces the first speaker. And one of the stories that I didn't share with you is when I was 11 years old is actually when I received Jesus. And it was a power team concert. And the main guy, his name was Keith Kraft. And if you haven't heard of the power team. It was, they go around the country and they break bricks and they do all these incredible feats. And at the end of it, they have a guy share his testimony and lead people to Jesus. And so the guy that led me to Jesus, cause I want, I didn't want nothing to do with, with, with church until I went to a power team concert. Cause I'm like, wait, a Christian can look like that. So I made a decision for Jesus in Baton Rouge, Louisiana in like 1994. And, and the guy that led me to Jesus, his name was Keith Kraft. And I hadn't really gone to church since I went to college. 25 years after I received Jesus, I didn't realize it. This same dude just walked back up onto the stage. Keith? Keith crafted. Wow. Um, and the way that I realized it was him is as he walked onto the stage, the biggest pastor I've ever seen, guys like six foot six. And so he walks up and as soon as he speaks into the microphone was the very first time I had ever felt the Holy Spirit like hit my body. And like a lightning bolt hit me and I looked over at my son and nothing was happening to him. Like my, my, I felt like I was floating out of my chair. So I look at my friend Nick Unsworth and to see if Nick is floating out of his chair, Nick's picking his nose. So I elbow Nick. <laughs> <laughs> you can laugh because you know, Nick. And I go, it was very, in his defense, it was very dusty and dirty in the desert. Yeah. <laughs> he was digging the dirt out of his nose and I elbow him. I'm like, Nick, what's this guy's name? And he says, Keith Kraft, but I don't recognize the name. I Google it. Yeah. And the third image that pops up is this dude from like the 1990s busting bricks mm-hmm. with a mullet on the back of his head. And I'm like, this is the guy from when I'm 11. And so my chest is vibrating. And I'm hot. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So he preaches for 30 minutes and I end up running around the side of the tent. And I like grab him. I'm like, 
Pastor Keith, you're never going to realize it, man. But I was and I was in 11 years old in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. You came into town and you just showed me possibility and you showed me that a Christian could be bold, that he could be strong, that 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 he could attack and, and overcome things. And he didn't have to be a khaki wearing shirt tucked in station wagon driving like generous guy because that's what I grew up in. I, I grew up around like false humility. Like if you drove a Cadillac, like you should give more to the church. Um, and so I just said, man, I just want to honor you for giving me a picture of possibility. And I remember walking back to my chair as I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm walking on clouds, dude. Like I can't hear very well. It's like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's like a sound bath, you know, and I'm walking back to my, my chair and I have like three revelations about God. Mm. I finally realized that God is real. I realized that God is good because I had never felt like peace and joy of what I was feeling in that moment. And I realized that God operated outside of time. Mm. And, and with those revelations, very powerful because I feel like the answers of, of eternity are clear now, but I, I realize Ryan, I still have all of this junk on my back. Mm -hmm. I still got the porn. I've still got the lust. I've still got all of the shame and the guilt. And the very next day we had 2000 men line up in groups of 50 and in scripture, it says, if any two of you touch anything on earth, our father in heaven will do it. And so I got to the front of the line and I had my burden board. And the very, the day before that, I realized that God is real and that he's good. I, I was at the end of myself, Ryan. And I said, God, I'm, I'm giving this to you. Another man placed his hand on all of my junk and I confessed it. Right. And it also talks about confession and how there's freedom in that. And so I had confessed everything and I just prayed and believed. I said, God, I repent of my sins. God, I pray that you would forgive me. God, I pray that you would take my junk, that you would take my mess and God, that you would, that you would empower me to overcome this God. And I give you my whole life that Jesus would come into my heart, that I would be filled with your Holy spirit. And it's in Jesus name. I pray. Amen. And we threw that thing into the fire and mm. I went home and I had a conversation with my wife because she knew that I had struggled with some of these things, but she didn't know it was like tearing me apart inside and some of the stuff she didn't know at all. So I just went home and I shared everything with her and I said, babe, that's who I was. And this is who I'm going to be moving forward. I'm going to be a man of integrity. I'm going to be a man of honor and I'm going to be a man of accountability. I know that I'm a son and I'm going to operate as a warrior of the one most high. And if I can explain that, I feel like this will serve people is before I didn't feel worthy of God's love. And so when you don't feel worthy, you can't receive something. And so I had unforgiveness for myself. And so when those walls were broken down, when I repented of when I was incomplete and I gave all of that junk to God, I believe that he took it. But not only did he take it, he gave an exchange because our heavenly father is such a good father. He doesn't, doesn't just want to take our junk and leave us empty. Like he took the anxiety and the depression and those tormenting thoughts and, and he gave me joy right? He gave me peace. He gave me patience because I'm not typically a very patient person. Um, and so I say those things to say, I went home and I told my wife, this is who I'm going to be moving forward. I haven't been the same person everywhere I go. That stops now. I'm going to be a man of integrity. I'm going to be able to be proud of myself. I'm going to be a man of honor. My whole life has been about me building my own kingdom and honor to me is making my life about God and his kids, 
right? So I want to serve God and I want to serve his children for the rest of my life. And I want to be accountable because I believe that there is going to come a day that when my natural life expires, I'm going to stand before God and he's going to say, Hey, I know that you received Jesus and, and, and you're going to go to heaven. But, but before you go to heaven, let me sit you on this seat. It's called the Bema seat, the judgment seat. And I want to talk to you about your time your talents and your treasures. And so there will be an accountability that I will pay to God. And so I reminded myself after that radical moment in the desert for the rest of my life, I'm going to, I'm going to be who I say that I am. I'm going to make my life about God and other people. And I'm, I'm going to operate every day with the ultimate vision of being accountable to God one day, because the thing that I want him to say to me is well done, good and faithful servant, not great job, really charismatic leader, entrepreneur and <laughs> business builder. Right. Cause there's been times where like that, that was me. Right. Right. Like, right. Hey, really great physique and Instagram profile page, Steve. He's not going to say any of those things, but he might say, Hey, how did you use those things? Cause those are resources. Those are treasures. And he's obviously given me those things. He's given me the ability to communicate. I couldn't communicate like this five years ago. You want to know why? Because I was so scared of what you would be thinking of me. I was so scared of what people would be thinking of me. And I feel like there's only two fears that we can have, Ryan. We can have a fear of the Lord, right? When, when you take that red pill and you know what righteousness is, you can have a fear of the Lord and, and follow that imperfectly, or you can have a fear of man. Right. Where like you're so stuck on what people will think of you. So you actually say the words and go to the places and act in a way of how you think other people will accept you. And that's how I did. My whole life was a costume party. So it makes sense that like I get to 36 years old with money and all these different things that we say. But because I don't know who I am, I'm completely lost. I'm completely empty. But God met me in my brokenness and he used that uniqueness. And now like the wound of being sexually abused by a man when I was 12 years old that brought up all of those questions. And by the way, that happened six months after I received Jesus. Funny how the enemy knows that. Mm. But because that wound happened at 12, I always thought to myself, if God is real and God is good, how could God ever let something like that happen to me? Mm -hmm. But I know that God didn't author that to happen. However, when it happened, he's going to use that together for my good because I love him and I'm called according to his purpose. In Romans 8, 28, there's a promise from God. It's not just a scripture, it's a promise from God, but you actually have to give permission to God for him to use it. You Mm -hmm. have to release things in order for God to make it work together for your good. And in the scripture, it says that God will use all things, not some things, all things together for good for those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. And, and I feel like I'll share this and I want to know your thoughts. There's a picture that I feel like I think about when I think about releasing things, it's this meme and you may have seen it and maybe for people on YouTube, you can pop it up, but it's this really cute little girl and she's holding on to her teddy bear. She's about eight years old and you can tell Ryan, she's had this teddy bear for a really long time. It's real familiar to her. It's a little tattered and it's a little torn, but she loves it. And she's standing in front of Jesus and Jesus is bending over and you could tell he's just looking at her. He just loves her. And he's putting his hand out and he's asking that little girl to release what's familiar to her. And you could tell she's like a little anxious because she doesn't know what's going to happen if she releases what's familiar. But if she knew that Jesus had a bear that was behind his back, that was four times the size, brand new with the big red bow, she would throw her familiar at him and say, Jesus, give me what it is that you have. And I feel like I was that little girl. 
I was holding on to what was familiar and trying to like make it better. And then it took a radical encounter with the Holy Spirit for me to be like, God, not only do I give you all of my junk, I went home and I told my wife, I said, I'm changing everything. I, I'm not only going to live for God, I'm going to serve him because I feel like there's two two points in your relationship with Jesus. There's when he becomes your savior because you don't want to go to hell, <laughs> you know, and I grew up fearing, fearing God. And then there's a point where you realize he's the only way and he begins to shift and change you and you just treat him as your Lord. Yeah. You're like, God, I just want you to do for people what it is that you've done for me. So if I got to dig a ditch, I'll dig a ditch. Like if it's, if it's sitting in and giving testimony, whatever it is, wherever it is, like I, I, I want and I need and I desire for other men and other families to experience the joy of the Lord. Yeah. I never experienced that. And it changed everything for me. Mm -hmm. No, I love that. I mean, <laughs> dude, you broke down a lot of things with um, a bunch of different stories, but I can relate to a lot of what you said. You know, it's funny. Um, the power team. When yeah. I was when I got drafted by the Oakland A's, they brought him in. So this was back in 2010. So you have a power team story, too. Well, dude, you know, what's funny is that's probably the second or third time I've heard about him. And I had totally forgot that I had seen them multiple times. They bring him in during spring training. They impacted a lot of us, man. Yeah. And I just like I was already saved. And so, you know, at first they don't tell you what's going on, right? Like they're just yeah. breaking bricks and all this just dope grabbing, stuff, dude. grabbing your attention with their oh, muscles yeah, and their abilities. Yeah, right? It's a great show. And so I just remember like, dude, these guys are cool. And then um, I, while you were talking, I was looking up um, what's it, Keith. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder if he was the same guy because I know their team's not that big. And yeah. sure enough, yeah, it was the same guy. And it's I was the like, same guy. man, OK. And then I do remember him sharing his testimony after. And it wasn't like weird or anything like it was just, hey, he's talking to all these athletes and professionals story, right? and yeah. everything. And he's like, look, guys, like I'm powerful. And, you know, you guys see all this. But, you know, I don't have power without Jesus. Like this is nothing. You know, the same things we're talking about today. And um, you, so you heard from. So Keith came to where you were at, too. Well, he came to the whole team. I wasn't impacted the same way you were. Right. Right. But I just remember wow. him doing it. And it really did just while you were speaking, give me kind of like a vision of what it looks like to be that guy to people. Right. With whatever your talents and everything else are. Right. Because it's like, all right. Yeah, I can go broadcast to millions of people by doing this right now. That's yeah. amazing. Yes, I can go throw big events and like at our, you know, at WealthCon, we start, we just started having worship service at a secular on, event and yeah. I bring in a pastor. So I had Erwin McManus at the last one mm. and my buddy Tim Ross at the one before. And, you know, like a lot of people, it's the first time they ever experienced church in the way that you experienced it in right. San Diego. We're like, whoa, this is not. The church I grew up. Yeah, in. it's not like, oh, is, stand down, sit yeah, up. Yeah, like this is this is no, like man, come as you are. man. Yeah. So for me, I'm like, all right. If I'm if my mission field right now is is the entrepreneurial world and just being like the power team, like, OK, 90 percent of the event is going to be about the business yeah. and everything. Yeah. But I'm going to show you a little bit yeah. about what you're missing. Yes. And it, it dude, it's just. The events continue to get bigger. The reception gets better. Everything yeah. just keeps getting better. But it, it actually made me think about the kids because right now we don't have anything for the kids, right? My philosophy has been if I can impact the dads 
and the moms and everyone else, you know, the kids as a byproduct end up getting it. Right. And so by you being impacted, now your six kids get to reap the fruits of you being the chain breaker. Yeah. And it's made me start to think about what kind of mission there's out there for going directly to the kids, like the power team did when you were 11 and having some kind of cool business thing where it's like, yeah, this is about business and everything, but let me tell you a little bit about Jesus as well. Yeah. I don't know what it looks like, but it, it like I had this uh, vision he, of it. God, God's going to give him a vision that collides with my vision. Yeah. And we're going to call that a divine convergence. Cause I like God is starting to download to me that, I'm supposed to be a part of, I have a friend that's an American Ninja warrior also. Mm-hmm. And that's just such a cool, you physicality is always going to be something that teenagers are drawn to. Yeah, right. Right. It doesn't have to be breaking, but it's physicality, like physical authority. And also now with social media and YouTube and all the things, um, fame, physicality, finance, financial those, authority. Yeah. Like what, that's what makes people drawn into your world. Cause like you don't have gray in your beard like me, but you're building empire, yeah. right? Typically you don't see something like this until people get into their forties, but you're 34, mm-hmm. like it's incredible. And so that's your muscles. Right. And I know that like, I've been watching you, you know, <laughs> hey, my, I'm trying been, to get my muscles been, up a little bit. And you want to know why though, man, I honor yeah. you. Think about it. Because you're not just focusing on that one, two or three events. Yeah. Right. So like in your youth and also in your incredible drive, like I'm, I'm very impressed. Not the business is great, but I'm, I was, I, I want to notice more and we're going to go to lunch, but like, and everybody has gaps, but like, I so honor how you are keeping the main thing, the main thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it seems like, man, marriage is like so important to you and, and your kids are so important to you. And it's just it's really easy because I've been around really gifted people, right? It's really easy for people's gift to destroy them. Yeah. You know, I think the difference between you and I and why I didn't have to, let's just say wander so long was because I had to face the identity crisis and failure way quicker than you. Yeah. And so, you know, when I was 24 years old, I got released by the Oakland A's, right? So, yeah. you know, you're three years into your career. Yeah. They're like, bro, you're not good enough. Yeah. And I'm sure you've been released. And it's just like, wow, that's yeah. terrible. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, at 24 with no other skills, I was engaged at the time. Mm. So I'm like, oh, yeah. So this thing where I thought, you know, this was going to be our path and right. this is how we're going to make money and, you know, this is going to be our life. Yeah. That thing's not looking too hot now. And by the way, I also don't have any plan or skills in anything other than I already baseball. burned the boats, babe. <laughs> yeah, like I don't I, I literally don't know what, what I what else I could do. Yeah. And um, you know, so at that point I had never made any money because in the minor leagues you ain't making nothing. It's like the practice squad, but worse. And yeah. you know, I'm like, okay, now what, God? Because yeah. I thought this was what my talents and resources and everything were to be used for. And you know, I was still a strong believer then. You know, but it was like this, this identity crisis and, you know, inevitably that leads to entrepreneurship and real estate while I'm playing because I had to make money. I was like, wow, I'm actually like really good at this stuff, even though I don't even want to do it. Right. (laughs) You know, I just want to play sports. Right. And, um, you know, it's just, it's crazy how God opens a door for another thing. Right. But it took being humbled very early on and coming to acceptance in that you know what? My identity is not in sports or mm. stats or, 
you know, how people see me because, you know, you grow up as the guy. Right. Everyone knows. And then you lose it. And now you're just like everyone else. Your, your failures. Well, your your wins are very public, but your failures are very public as well. Exactly. So the highs are high and the lows are low, especially if the power or the worthiness of your life has to do with other people's opinions. Right. And so I like for you, when I hear your story, it's like, well, dude, I mean, to go sign multi-million dollar contracts, to win a Super Bowl, 10 years in the league, to, you know, winning awards, being fit. It's like, all right, by the time your career was over, it's yeah. like, yeah, there was obviously adversity and failure throughout all those years. Sure. No doubt about it. Right. Sure. But you look at the totality of your work and you're like, wow, that was an impressive career. Mm. Whereas I look at the totality of my sports career and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's I was a pro. And, you know, it's better than ninety nine point nine percent of people who ever play baseball. But mm. it was a failure in my eyes. You know, I didn't ever make money. I didn't ever get to the big leagues. I didn't ever, you know, do the things I set out to achieve. And, you know, you spend your whole life doing that and it becomes very difficult. So for me, I think being humbled so early prepared me for stage two when I started to have a lot of success so quickly in a new thing that I never wanted that somehow I just winged and like the gifts and everything just started to appear I was like, wow, I did not know I was good at this. I didn't know I was yeah. good at that. Okay. And then you just start, you know, walking in obedience because I'm just like, all right, God, you know what? I don't even like real estate. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Yeah. All right. I don't want to be on camera. I'm introverted. I, I never liked social media, but I'll do it. Mm. And then you walk in obedience to doing things that you don't want to do. And all of a sudden he starts to change your heart. Yeah. And he's like, you start to like it because you start to see the fruits and you start to see what happens when you walk in obedience. And, um, it's just, you know, I just think it happened earlier for me of getting humbled (laughs) than that. that, I think that's the only difference, but then you end up at the same point anyway, where it's like, it's very clear. There's one thing to do. Mm. Right. And that's just to use our gifts to build the kingdom. Mm. That's it. Like from there, we're all going to serve a different mission field. And, Mm. you know, if we're not using our gifts for the kingdom, like I said at the very beginning, then what are we using them for? Mm. It's usually self. Mm. What's one thing that you struggle with? Like one thing that you're, you're working on to me, I feel like I'll volunteer myself while you think a minute. Okay. Even after having this powerful God moment, innately, I'm selfish. Yeah. You know, um, and self-centered. And having six kids, like, I feel like my kids have really are a constant reminder that it's not about me. Mm. I hope that gave you time to think. Yeah. Well, I can say the thing that I struggled with most of my life was porn. Mm. So I never had. Was it like a lesser of two evils thing for you? Pretty much. Yeah. 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 And I never did drugs, Mm. never had an alcohol problem, never. I've never smoked weed. I've never like been attracted to any of that. And um, you've lived a pretty righteous life. I've tried. Yeah, it's <laughs> really good. Yeah. It's, well, I can tell like I'm in my mind. I want to notice things and ask questions. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering to learn why so much favor is on your life. But you and I'll, you've I'll actually righteously. I appreciate that. I'm going to I'll tell you a story here in a sec. But uh, yeah, porn was always a, a struggle, right? Because I was like, I don't have sex before marriage. I don't want to do any of this stuff. So you go to the lesser evil, right? Yeah. And so then you get married and you're thinking, oh, well, once I'm married, dude. Yeah, nope. 
I get it all the time. Yeah, dude. Right? This is going to be great. Well, you don't get it all the time. <laughs> you know, like being married, it's a, it's a whole different beast, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and but that's what they told us as kids, like purity, purity, purity. Just wait till you get married. But they didn't really equip us for when we get married. <laughs> no, they don't. Like, it all it's still itself. really hard. Yeah. Uh, new good. temptations. Thanks for sharing that, man. Yeah, yeah. So, but what happened was about six years ago, I had actually just, this actually all ties into why I think life has gotten so much better since baseball. So I retired in 2017. So even though I got released uh, back in 2013, I ended up playing five more seasons in independent baseball because I just love the game mm-hmm. and the sport. And by then I was starting to get pretty good at real estate. And so I was making money while I was playing mm-hmm. in this field. And eventually I was actually making a lot of money during my last two years. Um, and I was just playing for fun. I'm like, dude, Sports has a very limited lifespan, so I might as well just if somebody wants me, I'm going to go play Yeah, because why not be available? Yeah. So anyways, I get done playing. It's 2017. Um, And during my playing career, that was when I struggled because, I mean, you know, when you're on the road all the time and you're alone, a lot of stress, a lot of stress, bad games, this and that. It's like such an easy temptation. And then how about the guilt and the shame afterwards? Oh, a ton. a ton. So, and then trying to go play a game like later that evening or the next morning. Yeah. I would just torment myself. Yep. It was terrible. And so, when I got done playing, it's weird. You change your environment. Yeah. Things start to shift, right? Like, oh, well, now that's like, I don't even have room to be tempted to that anymore. I just don't. Yeah. It's not a thing. Yeah. And even to this day, there's a reason I don't travel alone anymore. Mm. Even though it's not a temptation anymore. I still will bring somebody with me on the road trip. I'll still get a roommate just to protect myself in that case. There's there's my there's my roommate over yeah. there, Pierce. Your accountability buddy. Yeah, he is. Man. So no, but what happened was we were at a Bible study and uh, and this is why we're starting Bible studies worldwide right now. But uh, we're at a Bible study and I've been attending it for a couple of years. This guy was actually my first investor ever in my real estate deals. I met him in Bible study after or I met him in Bible study first. And then after building a relationship for like a year, he was like, hey, dude, I want to start investing with you in these real estate deals. And then he became the guy that really ignited my real estate investing career mm. because I was always good at hustling and getting deals, but I just didn't have money. But anyways, during this Bible study, he goes, hey, you know what? I know we were going to talk about this, but I feel like God's calling me to bring up something else. And so he brought up porn. He said, whoever here is struggling, stand up. Dude, majority of the room stands up. All guys, you know, like 20. Mm. And so he's like, everyone here is just going to confess what they've done, what they're going through, how long it's been going, et cetera. So you hear all these stories, you know, and then I'm up. And so I start to just tell my story. And like you, the moment, like you and the board, the moment I just finally confessed it to, you know, other brothers not just like me repenting alone by myself. Right. It was like freeing. Yeah. Right. And since that day, I've never looked again. Come on. And the temptation just really went away. Like mm. it wasn't even, you know, like a battle. It was just gone. Right. And so it, it's interesting that that also coincided with the moment God started really working and using me and like i don't want to just be over here saying oh yeah then i got all these financial success because i stopped watching porn that's not what happened 
what happened was clarity and vision and downloads and everything was able to be finally received because of the cloud and the fogginess and the shame and the guilt was removed. Yeah. Because if you remove something, something else needs to fill the void. Yeah. And so for me, I think that's what happened. I feel like porn is like porn is like mold that stays inside of a box that's in the basement of your home and you have a tarp over it and you don't need to tell anybody about it. We'll just keep it down there. Uh, but what I didn't realize is, but like that mold was getting out of the box and it was creeping into like the ventilation system and it was just polluting my whole home. It was polluting and, and ruining the intimacy and the expectations that I had of my wife, mm -hmm. um, causing guilt and shame, you know, when, when I am with my family, cause I just, man, if they knew what I was watching last night, yeah. you know, and all of the guilt and the shame, um, that way. But, um, I feel like one analogy that I want to share. And then if we can, man, I'd love to pray at the end of the show. Yeah. Yeah. We'll Would that be okay? Sure. Yeah. Um, this analogy, cause I, I know that we've been talking a lot about what people might think is like religion, right? So the very first car that I had, I was 16 years old. It was a 1986 Cadillac Fleetwood Broham. I mean, my car was about as big as the studio. It was massive. And it was a car all of my friends wanted to ride in. But I think much like a lot of us do, I wrecked my first car and I did it within the first six months. And I'm going to share the analogy of me wrecking my car with religion and relationship, because I lived for 36 years in a religion with God. Mm -hmm. And then when I had that encounter, everything that I thought I knew wasn't what I thought I knew about God. And I stepped into a relationship with him. And it's kind of like wrecking your first car. Mm -hmm. I had an old school dad, like a dad that if you made a mistake, there were going to be consequences. And I remember taking an illegal U-turn because I saw one of my buddies walking on the sidewalk <laughs> and this car is big. So I had to like sweep it out to the right in order to make yeah, the U-turn. Yeah. So I swept it out to the right and then I hit the U-turn. The person behind me thought I was turning right. So he hits me in the driver's side door and I hear the crunch of the metal, Ryan. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, frick. And I call my dad. He's going to kill me. <laughs> There's going to be hell to pay. Yeah. Right. Because I made a mistake. I knew I shouldn't have been doing this. That's religion. And that's kind of how I thought God was. Yeah. But relationship, relationships making that same mistake, Ryan, hearing the crunch of the metal, but thinking to yourself, I got to call my dad because he's. He's going to know how to fix this. He's going to know how to make this better. Yeah. And when, when there was that dynamic shift for me, all I wanted was more of God. And all I want to do is tell people more about his goodness, his mercy, and the freedom that there is when you release things. Yeah. No, I love that 100%. Instead of looking at it like, man, I'm going to the, the principal's office. Yeah. It's more like, hey, I need to go to, yeah. you know. Like my favorite uncles, yeah. my favorite uncles house that never judges me and always yeah. solves the problem and yeah. never makes me feel bad about it. Exactly. That's a terrible analogy. But to yeah, me, yeah. like I, the principal analogy makes just so much sense to me, but now, now I want to, now it's like, man, no judgment, full freedom. There's abundant mercy and the grace is sufficient. Yeah. You asked me earlier about like living a righteous life and struggle and everything else. And so 
what's interesting is um I don't want to say I used to be ashamed of my testimony, but um you know, when you hear about testimonies of people who were so far gone yeah. and they find Jesus, it's like super yeah. just amazing. You yeah. know, I got a guy upstairs who I literally hired him like a couple of weeks after he got after out of prison, yeah. you know, and he gave yeah. his life to Jesus yeah. while he was in prison. Radical, right. And I met him in Bible, that same exact Bible study. Actually, he had just came to the Bible study and I was, he was just talking about needing a job and I was just opening up this new company. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm like, I'll just hire him, whatever. Right. I didn't know anything about hiring that I know today. I would have probably gave him, you know, a background check. And <laughs> but nonetheless, here we are. Right. And uh, he's still with me to this day. Come on. And um, I used to think about this because. I actually gave a presentation about legacy at my last event two weeks ago, and I'll, I'll link to the YouTube video down below because I'm going to release that presentation. I thought it was maybe the best presentation I've ever give, given about family lineage, mm. legacy. And I talked about, you know, legacy is very important in the Bible, like genealogy and everything is the Old Testament, the New Testament. They took it serious. They talk about sins of your father and generational curses and everything. And so you start to think about these things and why, you know, alcoholism runs rampant in a family or why infidelity always happens generation to generation. Mm -hmm. You know, are you predisposed or is it your fault? Like what? You know. So anyways, with my testimony, like I was telling you earlier, I grew up in the church. Um, my parents are still married to this day. There was they never drank. They never smoked. There was never alcohol in the house. Raised me loving. My dad was strict, but he also told me he loved me, mm -hmm. took me to every baseball game. You know, the things that you're saying that maybe you didn't get, even though your dad was great, I was getting them. And in turn, you know, I saw the fruit of that and it made me want to do those things that they're talking about and yeah. want to follow Jesus at a young age. Yeah. Yeah. And. I never went through these crazy things where, you know, all of a sudden I went to college and just went off the deep end and rebelled. I never had like this catastrophic moment and got a DUI or did something really stupid. Now, was I perfect? Absolutely not. You know, like I had my own different issues, but relative to, you know, I guess society and everything else. Yeah, I was actually very righteous in that regard. Yeah. And so I would tell people my testimony. And they're like, dude, I mean, like, you know, well, in my mind, I would be like, man, it's like super boring. I don't have like any kind of crazy thing that brought me here. It's right. just like he's always been. And then somebody actually changed gears on me and somebody goes. You need to share that more because that testimony is the true testimony of what we should all be aspiring for our children to do that's, that. That's what I want my son's testimony to be. Exactly. And he's like, if you're raised right by your yeah. father, who's yeah. emulating these things. And my dad wasn't perfect by any means, but, right. and you don't have to go through the heartache and the problems yeah. and the, all those things that have to make you realize you just know from the beginning, yeah. you know, his goodness and you yeah. want it. Like that's the ultimate testimony of what we should strive for. And it's the rarer, testimony yeah. of all. And I was like, wow, I've never thought about it that way. But like with this presentation, I just, I showed 
like the, the thing I wanted to make clear to all the people in the room was this is your decision to like take hold of your family and your finances and your faith and everything is so much bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And I was like getting him to just understand like how many of you know you're going to have to take care of your parents because they didn't financially steward and do things right. Half the room raised their hand. I go, right. How many of you guys aren't able to do that right now? Majority of the room. I go, so what, what are you going to do? Right. You're in your forties. How are you going to start being, you can't even still do for you what you need to do. How are you going to take care of them? They're already in retirement. It's, it's a struggle. Right. And I go, some of you guys, your kids are going to have to take care of you. Yeah. That's hard to think about, especially if you're, you know, mid thirties like me and, Mm -hmm. you know, like, dude, your parents are going to take care of or your kids are going to have to take care of you because you're not making good decisions. Mm -hmm. Right. And I go, so it it starts today. You want to go take care of your family and not have your kids take care of you and be a burden to your family lineage. Mm -hmm. You got to make a choice today. Mm -hmm. And I just showed my family lineage from my parents, both sides. And I was like, I'm not going to say this to say that like my lineage is perfect by any means. Like Jesus's lineage got a lot of jacked up people in it. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's a common theme of faith throughout his lineage. And, you know, I start to think about like, okay, my mom's side, my great grandfather is in the water polo hall of fame. He was Mm -hmm. Olympian. Mm -hmm. My grandfather actually played in the NFL. Mm -hmm. He played for the Packers Mm -hmm. and he went to Alabama. My mom, played college tennis at UNLV. And guess what? I played pro baseball. Like, so there's this lineage of sports and athleticism. I'm like, okay, was I really that good of an athlete? It's a lineage of excellence. Yeah. And I go, or was I predisposed because they were doing the right things Mm -hmm. for generations? Mm -hmm. And like, I look at my kids and I'm like, oh, for sure. Like we know how to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a lineage of excellence. Like you said, right. Now, it may not have led to financial excellence. None of them were rich or anything like right? you wouldn't get paid nothing in the NFL back in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And then I look at my dad's side. He's from the Philippines. So he's an immigrant. And his whole side was all entrepreneurs. Would you mm-hmm. look at that? Mm-hmm. You got all these hustlers yeah. starting businesses. And granted, the, the theme with all of my dad's side was every single one of them started businesses and lost it all. Mm-hmm. My dad included, mm-hmm. you know, my dad came here when he was 17, American dream, moved up, you know, started working for a gas station, became the manager, opened up his own gas station, you know, opened up his own bar. Um, 2008 hits, loses it all, never recovers. Mm-hmm. And I took it upon myself to be the chain breaker of that and say, no, we ain't going to lose it all. All right. Right. And, you know, now I've retired my parents and they're good. Because I knew I would have to, right? But all that to say, even though there's so much things that happen throughout our lineage, is it any secret why I'm an entrepreneur or why I played sports and what, you know, and they're all Christian too, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, is it any secret I ended up the way I did? Like, did I actually earn it? Or is it because God blesses, you know, he, I don't want to say, well, he does bless righteousness, but he blesses obedience, yeah, righteous obedience. Yeah. So there was a there was a quote that my dad's pastor said, my dad shared it with me, and I thought it was really profound is what you don't transform, you transfer. Mm. 
right? So all of our fathers, and they're going to do their best. They're going to give us dysfunction, right? And I feel like every son's responsibility is to take that dysfunction, transform it so they don't transfer it to their kids, right? Another way of saying it is the chains that we don't break get placed on our sons and our daughters. Mm -hmm. So um, for me, having six kids, our main motivation should be to wake up and to find parts of our ego. You know, Apostle Paul says, die to self. We should be looking for parts of us that are not parts of our business. We should be looking for parts of us that are unrighteous because once we become sanctified and become righteous in all areas, everywhere we go, we'll be sanctified and righteous. And so many of us spend time outside of who we are instead of working on who we are. And, and I believe what you're describing to me is I'm like a generation two or three, you know, sure. I'm breaking the chains of finances, but man, like the reason I have such a, like a solid and, and non-traumatic testimony is because people have paid the price leading up to me arriving here. And also the dysfunction, this dysfunction that I was given financially that ran in my family until it ran into me. Mm -hmm. And you even said chain breaker. So yeah, that's, that's the, I I would love for you to send that presentation to me because that to me, that's my, my ultimate vision. Isn't like just at the end of my lifetime, like what does it look like three and four generations from here? Because I don't want to give my kids and I know you don't either, but I don't want to give my kids just generational wealth, right? Because they can spend it, they can donk it off. But if we give them generational health, which generational health includes a way of thinking, Right. If I can train my kids up in living a core values based life, like if you ask me, Steve, what would make your life successful if I lived if I lived my life based upon my core values, my life would be successful because I know that my kids would be trained up in the way to make decisions, the way to speak words, the way to to decide where they go and who they go with is predicated off of core values. Um and what I feel like I'm hearing you say is my my family has grown up with values. I've been the beneficiary of them and now I'm upgrading them. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm. I couldn't have said any better. And, you know, my message to everybody at WealthCon was that, guys, now look, I know most of you don't have a lineage like that, right? Mm-hmm. And you come from dysfunction. You come from divorce. You come from... All of these things, right? You come from a lot of trauma. Trust me, we've all had trauma and drama. I, my, I myself too, right? And like my conclusion was, you know, it's essentially 50 50 of how this goes down, right? Like your family can set you in the perfect environment. That's 50% of it. And then you still have choice. You know, you could still choose to rebel and screw it up. You could still choose to, you know, you could have all the giftings in the world, be a guy like Solomon, and then later on in life, blow it and cause the rest of the lineage to get jacked up, yeah. which is exactly what happened. Right. David was a guy who, you know, he was righteous and he gets rewarded with Solomon. And then that leads to, you know, Solomon screwing it up down the road. But, you know, you asked me too, like, what thing do I struggle with today? And selfishness would definitely be you know, near the top of the list, Mm. but it, it, 
it started to make me think with success and everything becoming more public now with social media, right? We're used to being public because sports is always public. Yeah. Your stats, anyone can look up your stats, anyone can look up your salary, anyone can look up how many errors you made, how many, you know, missed kicks you had, whatever, right? But that's not true in private life or in private businesses or anything, right? Now, social media is starting to make all of your uh, errors and your failures way more public, you know? Ryan bought a deal that lost money and this happened. He started a business that failed when those things are just normal, yeah, right? Yeah. But now it just gives people a reason to talk. And so I've thought, I've reflected on this a lot now where, you know, when you start doing a lot of things, inevitably a lot of failure comes with it. Yeah. And failure always leads to the most growth. You know, the, when, when things are rolling, I ain't learning. <laughs> Right. You know, I'm just chilling and coasting. But when I'm failing, that's when I'm learning. And I'm used to failing. That's that's baseball. Yeah. Baseball's nothing but failure. Yeah, you've been conditioned to take the L. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. Seven out of ten times you you're wow. taking an L yeah. and you're used to it. And so for me, it's no big deal. But when you get into these other things where now other people are affected, right? So you take an L and now Maybe someone loses their job or an investment doesn't work or other things. So then, you know, you start taking the blame, too. And for me, that's been a tough thing to think about with. One hand, understanding that. You're never going to succeed 100 percent, right? Mm -hmm. And people are going to dislike you, even if you did. But people dislike you more if you never failed, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But it's made me really reflect on just these guys in the Bible. And it's brought me a lot of comfort through my failures to see the most righteous people constantly fail. You know, you see um, Abraham just lie twice mm. about his wife. No, she's just my sister, guys. Don't worry. Like he keeps making the same mistake. And this is like the most righteous of faith. Just making epic failures, like yeah. sleeping with a slave, not being patient, you know, not obeying, you know, God's promise. And you're like, wow, this dude really failed. And like, this is the guy to emulate. Yeah. And then you look at David and everything with Bathsheba, everything with, you know, this dude was on the run for like 15 years, mm. even though he was anointed to be the king. You know, this dude messed up in a lot of different ways. He, he, I mean, quite frankly, wasn't a good dad. I mean, when you look at his sons, you know, with Absalom um, and then what happened to Solomon and everyone else, like he wasn't very he wasn't very yeah. there for them. Um, and, you know, everything with Bathsheba and having his guy killed and all this stuff. You're just like, wow, this dude really screwed up. Moses yeah. killing uh, Egyptians because he's trying to force his will. And you're like, these are the most righteous people to ever walk this earth. Yeah. And they've done way worse things than me. And it's public mm. in the most famous book ever. Yeah. And so it's given me perspective that my public failures aren't that big of a deal. And it's guilt and shame. And it's another stronghold that Satan tries to hold over you. Mm. Of like, well, remember that time you failed? Are you sure you want to do that this time? Because, mm. you know. What if you fail again? What are people mm -hmm. going to say about you? Mm -hmm. You know, do you have the confidence to go try out and step out on a limb and, 
you know, walk in faith towards this new endeavor? You know, are people going to hold back, you know, something that happened years ago yeah. and say, oh, man, like this guy's talking about Jesus. But this happened and that wasn't very biblical. Yeah. yeah and you've got a lot of people in your tribe as well. And people will judge you based upon what your tribe does. And I've walked throughout the building like there's a lot of people here, you know, not that you're just responsible to pay their, you know, their paychecks, but also in a way responsible for their actions, mm -hmm. you know, and how they handle customers or clients and things like that. Um, I really resonate and relate to King David because I've shared just some of the mistakes that I've made, but I, I resonate with him because he's a career mistake maker. Yeah. You know, like he was like you said, he was a murderer. He was an adulterer. Uh, but the one thing that continued to have God rain God's favor down on him is like he was repentant. Yeah. You know, like he his heart was for God. Yeah. Right. And so I feel like um, you mentioned it earlier about how when you start to do what God wants you to do, like he changes your heart, mm -hmm. you know, and you begin to enjoy it. And so what I heard you say is, man, I was raised up in a way where we did, we did things God's way. And honestly, like got life was pretty good. So I never really tried any of the other ways. Um, I was, I rebelled. Right. And in that rebellion, I did so much of life my own way. And then when I had that radical encounter, I read a verse in Psalms. It was written by David. And, and it was Psalms 37, four, and it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And I read that five years ago and it spoke to me different than it speaks to me now. When I, that's why they call it the living word, right? Cause yeah. it will speak to you in different ways. And so I read it five years ago and to me, it was like, do things God's way. And then some of the things that you want, God will give them to you mm -hmm. right in my naivety. So I just began to do things God's way, hoping that the things that I've wanted or that I needed would come to pass. And, and God is crafty this way that as I was delighting myself in what God loves and what does God love? He loves it when we love our neighbors as ourselves, when we serve people, when we sacrifice, when we take our spoon, our long spoon, right? Mm -hmm. Our talent and we, and we feed other people. God loves it. And as I began to do that, Ryan, the desires of my heart changed. And I began to get so much fulfillment from doing those things. And so then there, there became like a divine convergence in between what my heart wanted and what God's heart wanted. And now I believe most of the time I'm, I'm in a flow of both because I genuinely love building relationships with people who I believe want to grow kingdom and being a support to them, being a Barnabas and encourager, but an accountability partner, whatever it is that it is that you need in your life. I don't need to pick my position. I just want you to know that I'm I'm behind you. I believe in you. I have your back because I believe that God has put things on me that people like you, they need. They mm -hmm. need somebody that they can trust, man, that doesn't need anything from them, but just wants to see, hold them high, wants to hold them high as a husband, wants to hold them high as a father, wants to hold them high in the areas that honestly, like they're not pro, you know? Um, so I don't want to go off on a like a crazy <laughs> tangent that way. But like to me, I, I feel like Psalms 37, four has really spoken to me because I believe that heaven on earth is when there's a, a divine convergence in what you want and what God wants. And you live in that. Mm. I love it, dude. And I think uh, that just goes back to, you know, when people ask, you know, what is the kingdom? It's like, dude kingdom's here it's here right now yeah this very moment like 
you know, people can't see it, but you know, when you can feel it and when you're in it and it's, it's, it's like you said, it's like this atmospheric change Yeah, and you're like, wow, what, what is this? And then it starts to attract other people. And so if you can start to create that environment in your office, in your home, mm-hmm. in, you know, these places, it's just different. And, um, yeah, that's why also too, I'm so passionate about starting Bible studies. So mm-hmm. man, by the time this airs, we actually might have nonprofit status, but, um, you know, we have this thing called wealthy kingdom. And so, you know, we, on, on, on just the normal business side, we teach people how to do real estate, create content, do social or, um, build businesses and all those are great. And, uh, you know, over the years I was always public about, even before I was, you know, quote unquote famous, I was, uh, always sharing on my Instagram and Facebook, like Bible study, cause it changed my life. Like I was just telling you six, seven years ago, and I've never like missed Bible study ever since I go once a week everything. So then eventually I just started my own and we started doing it at our office. And so we've been doing it for years and people started to ask, Hey, how do I join? Can I like, is there, where would I find one of those where I'm at? And I'm like, I I don't know. Like, (laughs) I just don't like, I don't know that it exists where you're at. Um, you'd have to just go to your local church and maybe they do it, but a lot of times they don't. And many times Bible studies might only be like six weeks or eight weeks and then they're done. You know, you're never truly going to be building community and fellowship with, you know, some core people in your life. And so, um, eventually as this one got really big, I was like, you know what, with the talent back to what you said with talents and resources and everything, I was like, he's given me the ability to build communities and events and structure and business plans and everything and market and attract and media. I was like, if anyone's going to do this in this mission field, the entrepreneur space. I might be the only guy equipped to actually do it and feel called to do it and have the six years of testimony to know why to do it. And so I was like, we're just going to do it. And so in May of last year, we launched and uh, we launched 50 Bible studies nationwide and they're all in offices, homes, you know, they're for pe- people in business, entrepreneurs. We we built out curriculum. So everyone's going through the same study together. Then we have calls every Monday as an entire, you know, worldwide community. And um, it's been life changing for people, right? Because the Bible study changed my life and built relationships for me and changed the trajectory of strongholds of literally my business, you know, sure. um, all these things. And, you know, when I see people who need therapy and everything, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with therapy, but the reason you need therapy is because you don't have anyone to talk to about your problems. And I believe that one of the reasons I've never needed it is because I've had it, <laughs> you know, for six, seven years, just sharing what's going on with my life mm-hmm. and having other people who are also in business, being able to share the same problems and struggles and everything else. And so, um, to that end, you know, it's been very successful in a short amount of time. Mm. And, um, you know, we've, we've done some mission trips already. We've done some cool things. And, you know, this year I was like, you know what, let's do it big. You know, we got to get nonprofit status so that, you know, anyone can join, anyone can donate and we'll just freaking let it rip. And, um, I think we're actually supposed to get it this week. So by the time this, this airs, it, it might, you know, whatever, but 
what's funny is we tried to do it in like the normal way. And we applied like literally four or five months ago, still nothing. Right. And they're like, oh yeah, it might be like the middle of 2024. But then at WealthCon, we were literally praying. Um, well, like two days before WealthCon, we were praying that, hey, let us like have supernatural wisdom to figure out a way to expedite this yeah. or to make a relationship with somebody or something. At WealthCon, a guy comes up to me and uh he had bought the most expensive ticket as a $10,000 ticket so that he could be backstage and um, meet me, meet Tim Tebow and, you know, all these things. And uh, he goes, hey, I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing called a 508 nonprofit filing, but I think it might benefit you. And so he starts telling me about it. He's like, it can get approved in like a week. And the, the government doesn't oversee it. It's a it's for churches specifically. It's a 508C1A. I, I don't know the exact thing, yeah. but it's 508. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. all I know. And uh, I was like, okay. And uh, I start looking at it. And he's like, here's the company. Here's my connect and everything. Mm. I go, great. So I call them. They already know who I am. He's like, bro, yeah. With what you're doing at Wealthy Kingdom, those are churches, dude. You're starting churches everywhere. Mm. And I was like... Well, on one hand, I don't want to compete with the church because we're not like I want them to go to local church. I want it to be like their first introduction mm-hmm. into this. And then yeah. whoever's locally there is going to invite them to yeah. their their yeah. church and everything. Yeah. They both. I want them both to function together. Sure. And um, but I was like, but if we got to get classified as church, I don't really care what you want to call us. I mean, we're two or more are gathered. We're a church. Mm. And so um, we filed for that last week. Cool. And so he's supposed to call me today and we'll see. But, uh, you know, in the end, um, you know, I put it out there at WealthCon this last one two weeks ago. And I said, hey, at, during the worship service, I was like, you know, if you want to join one of these Bible studies, scan the QR code. 200 people out of 800 scanned it. Wow. And then I said, if any of you guys want to lead a Bible study, you know, we will equip you. You know, don't feel like you got to be a theologian <laughs> to lead a Bible study. You just got to commit to showing up, you know, and we're going to give you the curriculum. We're going to funnel people in. We're going to do all those things. And so a hundred people said they'll do it. And so, you know, we might have 150 here in the next month while we train up those leaders and, you know, go through the vetting process and all that stuff. But my vision is that I think we could have a thousand, you know, within by 2025. I really do. Mm. And, um, you know, at that point, I don't know. I don't know where it will lead to, um, but it would be the fastest growing church like in the world, period. Mm. And so I start thinking about like how big does God want this to go? Mm-hmm. Because it's obviously a need because mm-hmm. um, nobody if it, if it was already a thing, somebody would address it. Right. Mm. And I think about the power team story that you just shared. And I'm like, the power team was a need. Nobody was doing it. Yeah. These guys came up with an idea out of nowhere, and now 30, 40 years later, look at the mm-hmm. the effect. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, okay, you know, we we were building homes in Mexico with um homes of hope. Mm-hmm. You know, you think about things like compassion international, you're like, somebody saw this as a massive need that wasn't being addressed, and they built organizational structure and things around it to make it happen. Mm. You know, I was with Tebow for three days in Jacksonville and he was at my event and I just watched what he built with Tebow foundation and him just like understanding needs in the world and using his resources to do it. And I'm like, all right, 
well, if this is what like the highest level looks like, then it's go time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I didn't expect to do this. You know, I was just content doing my own Bible study with us here in Las Vegas. But, you know, I think when you allow God to use you and inspire you and obviously I had to get the fog and everything removed yeah. to be able to receive it properly. And now I just think about it and I'm like, dude, I don't even like I want to know, but I don't want to know what's going to happen. Yeah, you're such a uh, God uses you as such a disruption. Like as I've watched, God uses you as such a disruption and in a supernatural ability to as you disrupt to gather people to help them see a vision. And and even though it's not in the traditional sense, I feel like two spiritual giftings that you have is you're an evangelist, right? You can gather people and evangelist doesn't have to be in a church, right? An evangelist could be like, think about like Elon Musk. Mm-hmm. He's an evangelist for green energy. And so I believe that you have an evangelistic uh, gifting and also a gifting of administration, mm-hmm. right? Like the strategy, like not just sharing people the vision, but also the dynamic gift of saying, and this is how I believe that we're going to get it done. Because as I'm listening to you, you're not even really sure, which is crazy because you're not even really sure what it looks like 10 years from now, but you're like, man, in a year, it could be a thousand people. And then you just kind of like the vision fizzled after that because you're like, then then what? You haven't even thought about it. Mm-mm. But because God has put such an anointing on you to disrupt and literally create things in 18 months or less that might take people 10 years. I believe that God's going to stretch your vision even more as you get around more people like Tim Tebow who have been doing it for a decade plus, because Mm -hmm. then it will give you a picture of what it could look like, but yours will always look different. Right. Right. You know, it's funny. So there's this book called discipleship essentials Mm -hmm. and it's this six month, very hardcore study that uh i've taken guys through twice and uh well actually i've been through it three times but essentially it's um it's a workbook that only three to four people are able to do together and you meet every week you fill out these workbooks every week and it's just to really grow as a disciple and so one of the chapters is about spiritual gifts right mm-hmm. and so during the spiritual gifts part right you know they they explains all the different giftings and everything and uh <laughs> You're asked in the group to have everyone reveal what they think your giftings are, because now you spent a lot of time together and stuff. And so, um, dude, it's funny because (laughs) on one hand, we had one guy who like really thought that his gifts were something like nobody (laughs) thought that. (laughs) So it was just kind of like a reality check. We don't see you that way. (laughs) Yeah, You know, like we love you, but but that ain't it. But so it was kind of like disheartening for him, but like also kind of funny, but also like, all right, this is what I am. Right. So I'll never forget that because I was just like, that's what you think. I don't know. Yeah. Real men. (laughs) Yeah. Real men won't be a carnival mirror for you. No, we're they like, won't a, they're not going to tell show you that you're smaller than what you think they are, but they're also not going to agree with something that you're not either. Right. Yeah. I feel like the best. And I feel like what you're describing in a group of three to four is like, 
It's the Holy of Holies. Like it's a place of intimacy, a place that you can be trusted. And most men, most men are scared to be fully known because they make up in their mind, if I'm fully known, Mm -hmm. I could never be fully loved. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what I believe those smaller groups of three to four do is it creates intimacy in most men aren't used to intimacy because most of us, at least in our age demographic, didn't have fathers that had intimate fathers. Yeah. Well, and it's just, you know, like that, that's the reason the book is like three to four, right? Because mm-hmm. that you cannot get intimate with big groups. Right. Right. So anyways, There's too many places to hide when it's 10 guys. Yeah. You just don't get enough time to talk and share. There'll and be somebody things. like me or you that'll just, just have, a, te- have a testimony every week, man. I want to tell y'all about the glory of God. <laughs> that's funny. But so anyways, we were doing mine and then um, I'm going through it and I, I share mine. And then literally all three were like, hey, we think you have the gift of administration. Mm. And I was like, administration, that is the lamest gift ever. Like, I'm, I'm an admin. Like, yeah. you know, I hate the details. I'm a visionary. I'm a guy who likes to go out and lead. And yeah, you know, like you said, evangelize. I think wisdom. Those were my th- and they're like, no, we think you have all those things, too. But we think you really have this thing of administration. Not, it doesn't sound like a sexy gift. No, not at all. I was like, administer. Like, what does that even mean? And, um, you know, it was exactly how you described it. It's somebody who can take something and actually build it, mm-hmm. you know, because there's so many good ideas out there. We need to go help this group. We need to go build this thing. But 99.9% of people can't do it. They're just, it's just that's an what, idea. That's what makes you so dynamic is. You can come alongside of somebody else's dream as a consultant yeah. and help them fill in the gaps mm-hmm. or you can come alive, come along and I'm, I'm assuming these things because I haven't seen you work, but I watch some of your content. You can come alongside of somebody and stretch and change their vision and then also help them fill in the gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very unique gifting um, but it's funny that I thought it was administration. You're like, yeah, it is administration. Yeah. And I That's was just good. like, do you guys see me just pushing papers behind the scenes? Like, yeah, yeah. You know, that's how I think of admin. No, man, you're to, to me, like a, like the gift of administration is like a master strategist, mm. you know, like a guy that I can encounter a problem, but like, it's okay. We'll, we'll get over it. You know what I mean? Like when you think administration, you don't think of an overcomer. Yeah. But to me. Uh, administration is like an entrepreneurial gifting. If yeah. you put administration and evangelism together, it's game over. Well, you have what we're building. Exactly. Yeah. So that's what I'm noticing as I'm like getting to be around you for a half a day. Mm. It's I love it. Well, dude, I've had a blast on the show, man. I appreciate you sharing. I mean, dude, we could have talked for a million other stories too, yeah, but yeah. Uh, we'll do a part two, man. Yeah, we'll do a part two. And, um, you know, I'm just uh, so appreciative that you're so bold and sharing you, your faith man. and that, you know, for a guy who has all the success in the world that you uh, are using it now for his kingdom mm. and that it's transforming you, too. It's not even about, you know, putting on a shit. It's like, no, this is what I want to do. My heart's been changed. I desire to do these things now. And so it's amazing. Um, we'll link to your Instagram and everything down below yeah. so people can go follow and 
you know, just get that word, man. Thank you, man. Can I, can I share a poem and a yeah, prayer before let's we do go? It. Let's do it. So I want to share this. Thank you for saying that. Thanks for having me on, man. Thanks for yeah. being an encourager for the body of Christ. I want to share with everybody a poem that I have printed out and I actually have this taped on my bedroom mirror in my bathroom. Um, and I have like a, a process that, that I go through in the morning and it ends with this poem, but this poem re-reminds me what life is, right? Like I've lived 36 years doing it my way. And then the last almost five years, four years and 11 months uh, that I've been doing it God's way. And it's also hard that way. But I believe that doing it God's way is going to lead to so much more. So I want to I want to share this poem with you and then I'm going to pray for everybody uh, being your and it's called choose your heart. Being your best is hard. Being normal is hard. Making wise decisions is hard. Making bad decisions is hard. Being in shape is hard. Being out of shape is hard. Being disciplined is hard. Being lazy is hard. Getting outside of your comfort zone is hard and stay staying in your comfort zone is hard. Starting a business is hard. Working from someone else is hard. Making a lot of money is hard. Making a little bit of money is hard. Having great relationships is hard. Having bad relationships is hard. Fighting for your marriage is hard. Hear me when I say this, men and women. Fighting for your marriage is hard, but divorce is hard. Having a lot of things is hard. Having nothing is hard. Living off purpose is hard. Living on purpose is hard. Doing life God's way is hard, but doing life your own way is hard. At the end of the day, we have to choose our heart. And so I want to pray right now, but I want to pray specifically for someone and for something. I believe for me, when things got radical, Ryan, is when I prayed a sequential prayer and I took three steps. Mm. I, I released, I received, and I committed. And what I mean when I say that is I prayed a prayer that God would forgive me, a prayer of repentance, but I also prayed a prayer that I would release Everything that happened up until that point, I would release it to God and I would give him permission, kind of like Romans 8, 28. God, you can take everything from my past at this point. I'm not going to cure it anymore. And I want you to use it together for my good because I love you, God. And I know that I'm called according to your purpose. So I'm going to ask when we pray, I'm going to ask you to release some things that you've been carrying around for a long time that don't belong to you. I'm going to ask you to re receive something that you could never earn. And that that gift, that man is Jesus, right? I've tried everything in the world to try to fix that that thing in me. And when we said the chains that we don't break get placed in our sons and our daughters, well, I don't want the chain of, of my son's humanity to rest on him, right? Like I want to be a bold and a complete man. And the only way that I knew that to do that is through a relationship, not a religion with Jesus. And the last thing that I'm going to ask you to do is commit to living that way for the rest of your life. So let's pray that prayer, Ryan. Let's do it. Uh, all right. So I'm going to pray. And then there's going to be a portion of this where everybody that's listening to this or watching this, I'm just going to ask you to repeat these words. And at that point, Ryan, I'll just have you repeat after me, okay. man. Thanks all for right. letting me end in prayer. Yeah, let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. God, thank you for Ryan. God, thank you for the anointing that you've placed on his life. God, thank you for his spiritual giftings. And God, we just pray a hedge of protection over him and his family, his kingdom, everything that he's created. God, continue to put him in a position uh, to leverage those gifts, God, to grow your kingdom. So this is the portion where I want all of the listeners right now, everybody that wants to split your life into two sections, this can be a defining moment for you. This might be the first time that you've ever repented of your sins and, and received Jesus, or this might be like the 10th time, but I'm believing that this can be different. So just repeat these words after me. God, I want more of you. God, I want more of you. 
God, I've sinned and I've missed the mark. God, I've sinned and I've missed the mark. I need your forgiveness. I need your forgiveness. I need you to take my trauma. I need you to take my trauma, my addictions and my mistakes, my addictions and my mistakes, my failures and my divorces, my failures and my divorces, my dysfunctions and my deficiencies, my dysfunctions and my deficiencies. And God, would you give me peace? And God, would you give me peace? Would you give me joy? Would you give me joy? Would you give me unconditional love? Would you give me unconditional love? And right now I invite Jesus into my heart. And right now I invite Jesus into my heart. Not just for his forgiveness. Not just for his forgiveness. But for his full authority. But for his full authority. That he would use me for signs, miracles, and wonders. That he would use me for signs, miracles, and wonders. That he would heal the areas of my heart that need it. That he would heal the areas of my heart that need it. And that he would renew my mind. And that he would renew my mind. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me. And I ask that your Holy Spirit would fill me. From the top of my head to the bottoms of my feet. From the top of my head to the bottoms of my feet. That your Holy Spirit would convict me and comfort me. That your Holy Spirit would convict me and comfort me. Lead me. Lead me. Guide me. Guide me. And partner with me in life. And partner with me in life. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for letting me pray that prayer. So for everybody that prayed that prayer, Ryan, I know you know this, but it would be a reminder for you. It might be a first time for your listeners. If you prayed that prayer for the very first time, there's angels that are in heaven that are rejoicing right now. And there's actually this giant book called the Lamb's Book of Life. And and each person that repents of their sin and receives Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, their name is actually written in that book in Jesus's blood, which means that it can never come out. And so I celebrate you. Um, and for those of you that have rededicated your life, uh, I want to encourage you. And you might be wondering, man, like, how do I make sure that this is like the last time I really just got to give it all to Jesus? I've got some next steps. So um, maybe we'll use the word Ryan. If you want to know, man, what are the next steps? How are, what are the habits and what does my morning time need to look like? Steve, could you send me that poem? I want to put that on my mirror. Uh, Steve, where should I start to read in the Bible? Like, I'm just like you, man. I want to disciple people. I don't need your money. That just doesn't cost anything. There's no upsell. Um, I want to get you the resources and bring you through this sequence that reconditioned my mind, Ryan. It changed my heart. And so now there is a divine convergence because I've gotten healing. There's so many people that are listening and watching this right now that have wounds that are wide open, mm -hmm. right? The reason that I'm healthy enough to come on here, create a relationship with you where I don't need anything and share testimony Knowing that I had a wound, it's a it's a scar now. Yeah. I can come on here and show my scar because I believe that that gives other men, other families, other businesses permission to heal. And that's why I'm here. So if I can serve you moving forward from this point, I would love to do it. If there's something that we talked about on this show that was really impactful for you and you want to know more, send me a message on Instagram. I answer all of those messages. And Ryan, I'm excited to build a, a relationship with you, man. And I got a cool gift that I'll give you after we finish the show. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it man prayer was great and everyone who prayed it i'm excited for you guys so yeah. um hopefully uh you know you guys have stayed to the end if you have give us a thumbs up in the comments say man i just prayed i'm excited let us know that you prayed in the comments and that you stayed to the end it means a lot and so we will uh be back for another one i'll definitely have steve back in some capacity and uh we're gonna make it happen guys so 
We'll catch you on the next episode. Peace. In the midst of life storms that when it feels like everything is shaken, then who are you and whose are you? When you are so worried about being liked, sometimes it can change your decisions where then sometimes you don't always stand for yourself.